Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. Learning is fun. And when your teammates want to learn continuously, the fun never stops. In this episode of With Great People, I talk with Ted M. Young, better known in the software community as Jitter Ted. Ted is a software industry veteran with decades of experience working with some of the biggest companies of our time, names like Google, Apple, and eBay. Nowadays, Ted is principal Java trainer and coding coach at Spiral Learning, where he applies the science of learning to speed up his clients' adoption of new knowledge. He tells us how this passion for learning brings fun and joy to the workplace. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Our special guest today is Ted Young. Hi, Ted. Great to have you. Great to be here. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So I'm Ted M. Young, and I use the M purposely because there actually are other Ted Youngs who are actually in the <laughs> same industry as me. And so I've, I've doubled down on, on M as, as uh, being a prominent part of my name. But actually, I'm probably better known as Jitter Ted, J-I-T-T-E-R-T-E-D, Jitter Ted, both on Twitch, which is where I do my live coding, and on Twitter, where I do a lot of, obviously, my tweeting. And so I am, uh, I'm an old white guy software developer. <laughs> so I've been doing the software thing for, I can say, 40 years as a professional, if you classify professional as, as actually having made money, because I've been making money doing software since I was 13. Um, wow. And I got into the Agile stuff really early with Extreme Programming way back in 98, 99. was part of, so I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was part of the Bay XP group in the, in the early 2000s and was involved in that. Did uh, actually an Agile project for the San Jose County government where we did a contract where we said month to month, we're going to do the most important things. And at the end of the month, you can decide whether to move forward. Mm-hmm. This was astonishing because like, I didn't think it would work, <laughs> but it was, it was truly an, an agile project. And like, we were sitting literally with the customer in their offices. And I know I'm on a tangent here, but like, that's mm-hmm. what agile means to me is, are you getting feedback from the people who this software affects? And are you getting that on a regular basis? Everything else is just detail. Um, uh-huh. So we did that and we were able to get really good feedback and, and have good conversations and so since then, I've worked at, at companies like eBay and, and Google, and it was at, at Guidewire that sort of I really was able to really explore Agile on a, with a larger team in the context of a larger organization and stayed there for a while. Went over to Apple for a little bit, um, and then a few years ago decided, you know what, I miss doing training and coaching and teaching. And so now I'm, I'm back doing that at companies large and small. And also spending a lot of time live coding online in, in front of sometimes one person, sometimes 50 people. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I love this idea of live coding, streaming as you code. It, in one sense, it's like, why would anybody want to watch that? In other senses, <laughs> that is so cool. Of course yeah. I want to watch that. Yeah. And and. It's like a sort of like a dream. What if we were like a, a team of people writing code in the middle of a football stadium and there was like 65,000 people cheering us on? <laughs> well, what's, what's, what's really amazing, you know, and I've asked, that, I've had that question. It's like, why would people watch? And so the kinds of things I like watching are 
I want to know what was going through your head when you decided to do it this way versus that way. Uh, yeah. So for what example, I'm trying to get better at design, you know, design of, of web apps, websites, and so on. Um, I kind of know what's good, but getting there is hard. And so watching people say, okay, I'm going to do this and do this, like, oh, that's why you did that that way, or that's why you did it this way. And generally, like if you, you know, go to online courses or look on YouTube, you don't get that sense of, you know, here's a mistake I made, or here, here's a decision I made, and here's why. Yeah. And I know for myself, when I produce sort of almost, ded- you know, the dedicated learning videos, I don't usually include mistakes. Whereas if I'm live code and I'm making mistakes all the time, like yesterday I made a mistake. It's like, oh, I've left the code in a bad state and I don't have a failing test. I, and I know exactly what I did wrong. And, and okay, lesson learned again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lesson learned again. So you mentioned, um, as, as you introduced yourself, you, you mentioned uh, some, some team or some teams have been part of. This yeah. is the podcast about teams yeah. and the best yeah. teams of people's lives. What was the best team that you've ever been part of in your life? So I think when I first joined Guidewire Software back in 2007, I joined a, uh, so Guidewire produces, the software is large, but the, the software they produce is insurance software for large insurance companies, so property and casualties. Mm-hmm. So your, you know, your Geico's, your State Farms, those companies for their core claims, billing, uh, and policy systems use Guidewire software internally. So I joined the billing, the billing team, basically became the tech lead. And it was a perfect time for me to join because they were they were sort of transitioning from this was a new one of the newer teams in the company. They're sort of transitioning from getting on their feet, uh, getting moving, but not really having much of a process. And you know, ad hoc works great up to a certain point. Like if you've got you know four or six people who are all working together and all know what they're doing and all know what they need to do, you don't need much of a process. But once you get a little bit larger and things start needing to be formalized a bit more, I was able to inject my agile knowledge and, and trying out things. And the idea of cards on a wall was new, experimenting with different. So they, they had sort of this very loose one month sprints. This was when, you know, Scrum was saying sprints are one month. So they were doing one month, but they weren't really sprints anyway. So it didn't quite matter. So we were experimenting with that. And just a lot of experimentation, a lot of playing with things, a lot of working together on, you know, so I'd bring in stuff and then things would be tried out and different needs would come up. And that worked out really well. And eventually I became the dev manager for, for that team. Uh, but it really was, was sort of the start of Agile at, at Guidewire and spread to other teams. And I sort of was coaching other, other teams on how to do things. And that was my first realization of, watch what you say because people will take that and without thinking, do exactly that. I'm like, what are you doing here? It's like, well, you said it's like, no, that's not what I meant. I know that's what I said, (laughs) but your context is different. So let's talk about your context. All right. Yeah. And when you take yourself back to this first team at at Guidewire, and then if you could like re-experience the work you're doing, sort of like feel what it was like, deep within yourself, deep within your body, like physically feel what it was like working together with those folks. Is there one word that you could use to describe that team and that experience? If we go more on the feeling side, it was fun. Fun. It was, it was fun, not in like, you know, hilarious, but in enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a, a, a book called The Progress Principle. And the idea is as you make progress and visible progress on things, that is compelling and its own reward. And I think we were just making progress and that was fun. And we were doing it in a way that was where we just worked well together. So, so fun is probably the, the one word uh, uh, description of that. All right. Is there anything else about fun related to this? Um, so, I, you know, I think if you think about like what, what makes things fun, you have to sort of be willing to experiment and try things out and say, oh, well, that didn't work. Oops. You know, and be willing to accept failure. You know, all the stuff that we talk about, you know, being, being willing to take a chance and willing to, to try something listening to one another, right? You know, we always talk about like good improv is, is, is listening and, and adding on. And yeah. And so, you know, there, there's a, there's a fun aspect to, to, I think just making visible progress and seeing things, you know, we get into this cause we want to create, I think that's, that's a core core aspect. And what's more fun than, than being able to create something and, and, and see it work. Yeah, totally. Totally. Is, is there anything else subjective you could say about this team? How, how do you, how do you know subjectively that it was the best team of your life? Um, cause I'm always referring back to it <laughs> when I, when I give various thoughts, it's like, we did this and we did this. Like, like I, I think the, the flip side of, of, you know, fun and this, this relates to, to like this, this game I'm working on is you're learning, right? I, and I think learning can be fun learning. You know, we sometimes think about, oh, learning is drudge work and learning is rote and learning is boring. And, and I think the best learning though is fun, right? I mean, you look at kids play, I mean, there's a lot of learning going on. And it's basically getting feedback and seeing that you're on the right track or, or the wrong track. And so I think I did a lot of learning from, you know, there was one point that really stood out for me where a team wanted to run a, a small experiment. I was actually on, on sort of a committee of, of experiments. We were sort of the, the labs committee. And I was like, what you want to do? I don't think that's going to work. But you know what? Well, let's let's set out the experiment. What do we expect? What's the you know hypothesis? What's the, how are you going to run it? How are we going to know that you succeeded or not? And it worked. And I was like, okay, lesson learned. Like I <laughs> cannot predict the future. So and I and I really remember feeling so strongly. This is just not going to work. There's no yeah. way this is going to work. And being surprised and happily so that that's like okay, that worked. And you know that kind of thing really stuck out for me. And yeah, so just a lot of lot of learning ties in ties into the fun aspect. All right, and so we got fun, we got learning, and learning is fun and progress. How about objective measures? Is there anything anything that you could have as like evidence that somebody outside the team could have looked at any any metrics or anything else objective that shows that this really was a great team? Yeah, well, I got a bonus for my work of <laughs> of you know spreading agile to both. I mean, clearly it was seen as successful. Sometimes it's hard to see, right? You're in the team, and, and and especially if things are going mostly well, right? Nothing goes 100% well all the time, but but clearly, you know, we were we seem to be doing well. But when people outside the team are saying, "What you're doing is working," can we do that too? To me, that's a huge, you know, saying, you know, saying that you're the success is visible enough that other people want to to copy it, you know. And then we had the the your your typical good metrics of we were able to measure our you know, how much work we were getting done. We were able to do it in a predictable manner. And this was, this was 2011, 2012, when I think, you know, that kind of metrics was, was not really widely, 
known. And we were doing things like we were able to predict, we were gathering data on a story by story. These were cards on a wall and we were able to figure out what the life cycle, the full cycle time of those things were. And we were able to then use that and say, you know what, there's this big feature we wanted to get into this release, not gonna happen. And they were fine with that because we had data and we, you know, it would have been risky to, you know, for better or for worse, we were producing sort of old style software where it was a two year version cycle and it would take 18 months for a company to install it and get it customized and all that kind of stuff. So it really mattered that if we put in a feature and it was half done, we would have then had to undo it. Um, Mm, And so that kind of predictability and it was really cool. Like, you know, I was plugging stuff into a spreadsheet and we were looking at it and it's like, yep, we were right. It didn't fit or it wouldn't have fit. So getting predictable progress, being able to really drive based on, on that data, I think was, was clearly objective stuff. You know, we did things like we changed the way we, we estimated. We, you know, I would never do estimation the way we originally did it, which was the typical poker cards and, and spend four hours, sorry, f- one hour estimating four stories. And it's like, <laughs> was that really useful? Yes, we learned a lot by talking about it, but did we really need to do that to, you know, being able to estimate, you know, 20, 30, 40 stories in, in much less than an hour. And it really made mm-hmm. no difference from the data. And so that was, you know, nice to have that, that, that objective data showing us that we were doing the work in a way that was, was predictable and everybody wants predictability. And so, and that's why I love Troy McGinnis's stuff around metrics and, and, and that kind of thing. It's like, yes, we need more, more of that. Cool. Uh, you've mentioned some of the concrete behaviors that you, that you engage in together, uh, cards on a wall, computing cycle time, this estimating practice. What, what are some of the other concrete behaviors that you, you engaged in together as a team? I think some of it is willingness to, to take on tedious tasks. So for better or for worse, our merge process was hell. <laughs> our merge process because so we we eventually got our iterations down to two weeks um, because we tried we actually tried more that did, clearly was too long we tried one week and the overhead of merging because we were doing it once a week it was literally the entire Wednesday was was merging because we had a complex process and lots of things to other teams to deal with and it was just that was just hell um, but somebody else had to lead that and manage that and do that and so Everybody, you know, might grumble a bit, but, you know, but we did it and we took it on. And because we know that that was important to, to let other folks, you know, get actual work done instead of just merging. So sort of the responsibility aspect, I think, was a good behavior. Being curious, I think. And I think, you know, people always ask me because, you know, I'm on my live stream or, or, or wherever. And it's like, what do you look for in, in, when you're hiring someone? And I look for curiosity. Like, if you're curious, how can I know more about this? How can I do things better? That is really, really important to me. Because if you're not thinking or or being curious about what you're doing or how to make it better, you're almost just a zombie and walking through the work. You can get by with quite a lot of zombies, but uh, that's not going to really improve the the team. And so uh, experimenting, you know, that goes into the experimentation and and being willing to try things. Uh, And then I think there's being vulnerable. Um, and I know this was, you know, I'm sure it's, it's hard for everyone. It was very, very hard for me, especially being like the tech lead and, and dev manager to admit when I'm wrong. And being able to do that just sort of knits everything else together. Being able to, to say, oops, I goofed, or I have no idea what we're doing here. 
And now I try to really model that on my live coding students. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Let's go see if we can figure this out. Or, oh, I just totally messed that up. Let's, you know, um, to show that, that, you know, even someone who's been doing this for, for 40 years, we still make mistakes. We still, and this very much ties back to learning. It's like, you can't learn if you think you know everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's, you know, people like that where they think they know everything, they're not going to learn. And so they're, you know, it's sort of like, I may be improving only, you know, I may be at 80%, you know, at some arbitrary score of 80 out of 100, but I'm improving. Whereas, you know, maybe they're at, at you know, 100, I'm going to pass them, right? If they're just not improving at all, and, and maybe they were yeah. better than me when, when they started, but they're not improving, who's going to win? In the long run, I'll win, you know, and, and I'm sure I, you know, came across as arrogant and a know-it-all earlier on in my career because I thought I knew everything, right? And this is fairly typical. It's like, as you learn more, you realize you know less. Yeah. Well, so I, I love that that story about um, admitting when you're wrong, when you make mistakes, when you got lost in some code you were writing. You started by saying being vulnerable and it's not just tell people be vulnerable. It's here's some examples of behaviors yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. that you've been modeling. Exactly. And that, exactly. And that that people can use themselves to do this be vulnerable thing. Admit you're wrong, yeah. or you don't know something, or you, you totally messed it up. Yeah, and I, and and I think you you have to do you have to model it. And you know, it's it's even if in a sense the you know sometimes I'm streaming and I don't have you know many viewers and nobody's interacting and I'm still modeling all that because it's just <laughs> good practice, right? We yeah. we. You know, and this is where, you know, if you go, if you're lucky enough to, to go to a workshop or something where you work on some of this stuff, you're working on it by practicing it. And you're not going to get more comfortable with something by doing it less. Right. You're not going to get better at something by doing it less. You know, and, that, and to me, that's always, always goes back to the XP of, you know, if it hurts, do it more, right? Turn it up right. to 11. It's like, if it hurts, do it more. It's like, what? That, that sounds strange, but like you have, if it hurts or it's hard to do, you have to do it more. Um, yeah. and hopefully in, in an environment where you're, you're safe. And so, you know, we always talk about psychological safety, but, but, you know, sometimes you, you might be, there's a number of occasions where I come across as a rebel because I am both lucky enough to be privileged and able to take chances that other people can't. And so then therefore I kind of feel it's incumbent upon me to do that, mm -hmm. that I'm the one who can take a chance because I can go out and for example, you know, if I get fired, I can go out and find 10, 10 job offers, you know, next week. And so I tend to do that and I tend to, to push things. And therefore, I tend to be more questioning, like, is this right? Does this look right? This doesn't look right. What are we doing here? Or I have no idea what's going on. And so, uh, in a sense, leveraging my privilege to, to be vulnerable, I think, is, yep. you know, is something that I can do. Uh, and that if you're that type of person or you're in that position of being a tech lead or, or something like that, being more vulnerable is, is a tremendous way to show that it's safer to do that. That, look, I'm saying I have no idea what the best answer is here. I had one of these. You ever have this experience like just something rushes through your whole body? I just had one of these experiences listening to you say that last paragraph. Um, it's like, oh, this privilege that some of us have and how we can use that privilege effectively. Like I'm the one who can take a chance because yeah. I, I am privileged. I can just get another job. It wouldn't be that yeah. hard. Yeah. 
and so it's incumbent upon us to to use that. Yeah, and I think for me, it's it's always been sort of that that like, oh, what the heck, right? Who you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? <clears throat> because you know, at a very young age, I was basically an entrepreneur, and my father was uh-huh. an entrepreneur, and so sort of that's that's you know. And here I am again in, in 2020, I'm an entrepreneur. And so you might say, well, I have a hard time working for people. That might be an aspect of it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, but I know that I can always fall back on, on that. And so that always gave me a certain uh, foundation, you know, solid foundation that yeah. like, why don't we speak up, right? It's because we're worried perhaps how we're perceived, um, but also maybe that our job is in danger. And so while the first one may be a factor for me, how I'm perceived, but like the second one, I can, I can figure, always figure something out, always land on my feet. And so I always tended to, to speak up and, you know, there are a number of occasions that, that immediately come to mind. I don't think, I don't think I can mention anything other than like pointing out the obvious in the room, like, okay, we're looking at, at stuff at dates here. None of this adds up what's going on. Right. And it, it, it always fascinates me. Like, Am I the only one who sees this, or am I the only one who's admit we're you know sort of who's going to say it out loud? All right. Is there anything else you want to add? Anything? Anything you want to make sure listeners hear about it or know about? It? Anything you've been doing with yourself, working on recently that you want to that you want to share? Yeah. So um, speaking of sort of learning, I've been working on this game to help people learn test driven development. So two things. One is is I've actually been live coding. So step back a bit. In order to play test the game, I needed a way to do this remotely. And it's hard to play test a physical game remotely. And so I basically created an online version. That online version, I created live coding and I created a TDD. Because um, oh. <laughs> all the stuff I do, except for the front end, because I'm still a novice at that, was all TDD. And it was it, there's kind of this funny meta thing that's going on. It's like I am writing a TDD game w- with you know, all the actions that you do in TDD and I'm doing it TDD. And so there's this reference back and forth of what I'm actually doing and what the thing is in the game. Uh, and it's really cool to see how much they align. It's like, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this prediction thing. So one of the big things I do in, in my TDD is you have to call your shot. You have to predict before you run a test. Um, okay. Is this test going to pass? Is this, test gonna, is this thing going to compile? Is this thing gonna gonna fail? I expect it to fail, but is it gonna fail in this very specific way with this null pointer exception thing? And something I've recently been adding is, in addition to predicting, uh, what's my confidence? So I've been doing one of the things that I do is, is a lot of research on how people learn. As a trainer, coach, that's something that I really am passionate about. How do we learn best? Um, what's the effective way to to learn? And I was reading some research about how when Students take multiple choice question, uh, question, multiple choice tests, adding in, and how confident are you in your answer? There's some really interesting data that that shows an increase in, in learning. And so I thought that's really interesting because, you know, we can answer a question and say, yeah, I know this. And if we say we're 100% confident we get it wrong, that's very different than I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'm 30% confident and I get it wrong, right? Very different outcomes and very different how do you actually, how much do you actually know? And so I've been adding that into to when I've been live coding. Uh, I think I'm, I'm 80% sure because there's this little piece in the back of my head where I'm not sure about this, this thing and we'll see what happens. And then there's, you know, oh, I'm 100% sure and boom, it fails for the wrong reason. I'm <laughs> like, oh, I was so sure. And part of it is also like, we think we're sure, 
right? This goes back to the experiment stuff I was talking about. And like, sometimes we're wrong. So it's been really a lot of, a lot of fun to, to get this kind of feedback between what I'm doing and the game I'm making. And so now I'm like, okay, do I add this, you know, confidence level thing to my game or do I get the thing released? And this is just a general, <laughs> you know, software, you know, any kind of products, like, do I add this one thing in? The other thing has been balancing the learning aspects of the game with whether it's fun or not. Yeah. And that's been that's been really hard because like, oh, this is a little bit less than realistic. And I'm very careful that I don't want to go and have people play a game and then have to explain, okay, in real life, you don't really do this thing or you do this differently. I want to minimize that distance. Um, but mm -hmm. then it's got to be still a fun game. Otherwise, people aren't going to play it or not for very long. So that's been just uh, a totally unexpected, like I did not expect to be doing this in, in 2020. I had very different plans for for 2020 and so um so it's been it's been a lot of fun i've gotten gotten great feedback and now what's really nice is is i can use this in when i speak at conferences i can say here's you know instead of just showing people and maybe having people code it's like okay let's play this game for 20 minutes and yeah. see what we learn and then we can discuss it and 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 you know sort of see that 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 cycle sped up um and so you know doing some and it's basically you, know, you could say it's a simulation game because I'm simulating a, a real world thing in ways that you may not be able to to do otherwise. And so I think, yeah. and it, it sort of opened up like, we should do this more. We should be creating more and more of these types of games for all sorts of different things. You know, now I've got ideas for how do we do refactoring and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, let's, let's, let's get one thing done first before we start, <laughs> you know, creating new things. So that's, um, that's what I'm really excited about. All right. Yeah, it is super exciting. I can't wait to play this game myself. Cool. If uh, if any listeners want to contact you, is there a way they can do that? Uh, so Twitter is always a good way to go. So as I mentioned earlier, Jitter Ted, yeah, where I am on Twitter. You can check out my YouTube if you go to jitterted.tv. And you can check out my live coding at, at uh, jitterted.live. And uh, yeah, those are the best ways to get in touch. The TDD card game has its own site, tdd.cards. All these great domain names. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's a you know if, if people are interested in the game and, and they they want to find out more or maybe they want to uh, get an early early access to it, tdd.cards is, is the place to go. All right. Well, Jitter Ted, Ted M Young, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hi, friends. Thanks again for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. <laughs>